The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Are you a healthcare professional looking to translate psychedelic research into practice? Then register for Psychedelic Harm Reduction and Integration, a professional training offered by psychologist Elizabeth Nielsen and Ingmar Gorman at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. Earn 12 continuing education credits as you discover how to better support clients who have an interest in psychedelics. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, offering support for your spiritual growth and addiction recovery. Here's Reverend Dan Beckett. Welcome to the Spirit of Recovery podcast. We are glad you're with us today. I'm Reverend Dan Beckett here with co-host Reverend Michelle Vargas. Together, we share ways that spirituality and addiction recovery intertwine and work together to support your spiritual growth in your own recovery journey. We're basically a couple of recovery nerds, ordained unity ministers sharing our experience, strength, and hope on this spiritual journey of addiction recovery. We hope that something you hear today will be helpful to you on your own recovery journey. We invite your questions, comments, wisdom, and feedback anytime. Just send an email to spiritofrecoveryunity at gmail.com. Facebook users, you can message us from our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery. Just click the send message button right below the banner. And however you choose to reach out to us, please be assured that your anonymity will always be respected. Today's episode is titled, A New Way to Be. As we grow through our addiction recovery journey, we often come face to face with old habits that are hard to break. Fortunately, once we are a few steps down the recovery path, we become willing to make new choices that support our new and much better way of living. Today, we want to share our experience, strength, and hope on letting go of old habits and opening the door to a whole new way of being. A whole new way of being. So I was thinking that's that's the thing about this recovery thing is this is a whole new way of being. So it's like, it's almost like we spend the first part of our life you know, learning a way of being and getting all these ways of doing things and habits. And then boom, we get into recovery and everything has to change, you know, and this is not to overwhelm you, but just, you know, it, this is a big change, you know, um, lots of things need to change and things that, uh, well, I was going to say that used to work for us, but let's face it, they were never really working that well in the first place. That's why they're problematic, right? Well, they were for a while. Yeah, some of them. <laughs> then they, you know, failed, I mean, they failed spectacularly. I mean, in a way, so if you think of it from a trauma perspective, which I see so much um, research and psychology coming out lately that so much uh, is being attributed to trauma and all of us have trauma. Some have more than others, but so many of our habits and our ways of doing things were responses to trauma or to less than supportive parenting or to abusive situations or whatever it was that we went through um, as young people, as children. Um, These things actually worked really well because they were coping mechanisms that um, helped us to survive 
uh, whatever it was that we were going through. So we can thank them for having served their purpose because they did serve their purpose. Um, and then also at the same time realize that we're not children anymore and, you know, and we have outgrown these um, trauma-based coping mechanisms and we need to learn new ways of being. So I might have kind of overwhelmed folks by saying everything changes. And so I want to sort of counter that by saying that we just start where we are, you know, um, this is not a race to the finish. Um, we've both been at this for some years now, and um, we can, you know, we can verify that you, it's just, it's little by little, you know, you start where you are. Uh, often we start with the most egregious of our habits, the ones that are giving us the most trouble currently, which is, you know, our active addiction right. and various things around that, you know, that, that habits and ways of being and ways of behaving and lifestyle choices that have built up around our addiction. So those things, usually some of those need to be changed pretty quickly, but slow and steady wins the race. We start where we are. We don't try to get ahead of ourselves. We just start changing. What can I change today? Um, you know, that's why these, these slogans that we have, such as one day at a time are so important because we just have to work with where we are today. And then before you know it, you've strung a few todays together and you see that things are starting to change. So on the one hand, you know, we could start, we start small, we start making small changes. Um, and to me, these changes, they need to be sustainable changes. You know, you know how when people are like, oh, I'm going to go on this drastic diet and I'm going to lose all this weight. And, you know, we can get a little crazy because it's kind of our addictive nature is to want to go full blast on everything. Um, if we try to make too many big changes too fast, it's not sustainable, right? So just as in diet and exercise, just as in learning a meditation routine, um, learning to live in sobriety, we make small, sustainable changes, you know, not to overwhelm ourselves and be like, oh, my whole entire life has to change. So, like I said, at the beginning, some big things probably do need to change, but um, we just one by one start replacing some of those not so healthy habits with things that are healthier, that are better um, and that are sustainable. Is this something that I can do for a while? You know, not, not am I going to burn myself out in a week and then I'm not going to do it anymore? Cause that yeah, doesn't help anything. The good news anything. is like you're saying that, we, we just need to do what's right in front of us in that moment. Mm -hmm. You know, that's why Absolutely. we say one day at a time or just for today, right? Yep. Isn't there a, yep. a reader, a daily reader just for today, I think. Yeah. And that um, it will be clear or become clear over time what, what little tiny things we might need to do. That's why we have a saying like, do the next right thing, or as yep. we like to say, do the next indicated, indicated thing. thing yeah. do, do what seems like the next thing to do, and then just move on from there, knowing, of course, that this is all centered around um, having a higher power that we turn to in prayer and meditation that directs us. Uh, that's something that we learn over time. It It can seem really strange and obtuse at first, like you know, what is my phone going to ring and the creator of all that is the ground of being is going to leave me a voicemail. You know, I kind of wish that would happen sometimes. But in reality, it's something that we we learn to um, 
really to feel our way through. And all it takes is um, a daily habits. Like you're saying, I do that thing too, where, you know, I, I, I actually successfully avoid it. Now I, I rarely make grand proclamations like, Oh, I went jogging today and it was really great. I'm going to go jogging every day for now, for the next hundred years. And like, yeah. no, you're not. No, I'm not. Yeah. I'm not. I mean, I yeah. just, no, I'm not going to. Yeah. And so instead of doing that, which is an old habit that I have, I might say, you know what? Why don't I go when it feels right to go? And just sort of, you know, let the, let all that grandiose energy fall away from that. It doesn't yeah. have to be such a big deal. Right. So when I think about, we're talking about letting go of old habits so that we can open the door to a new way of living. One thing I'm reminded of is a saying that we have in unity, and that is we release that which no longer serves us. Yes. And as you said, uh, we release it in stages. The first one for me being that alcohol was my, uh, my, um, what landed me in in recovery the very first thing let to, to let go is a no-brainer i'm not putting alcohol in my body anymore let me just do let me just keep it at that for a while i mean if i could do that for a year That's then enough. i can begin to think about other things of course it's important for me it was important for me to have a home group and to volunteer to be helpful in that group and to show up and so that people knew me and i knew them become part of the group and to get a sponsor and to do the step work. But at the end of the day, and I heard this from Don F, who when I first got sober had 40 years of sobriety, which I thought that doesn't even compute. That doesn't make any sense. That's, that's, I, I was in my 40s at the time. So the guy got sober when I was, before I started kindergarten or something like that. <laughs> anyway, what Don said, which his sponsor had passed on to him was, look, Right now, meaning in the first year or even two years, if you if your head hits the pillow at the end of the day and you haven't taken a drink, you win. That's yep. all that matters. Nothing else matters yep. except that. Because if I can't do that, then all the rest of this is out the window anyway. Yep. My prayer practice doesn't matter. My volunteering, my being part of the group, none of that matters the moment I put alcohol in my body, right? right? It's all out the window. So if the only thing I do is call program friends when I feel squirrely, show up at meetings, uh, do the step work I, as best I can along with my sponsor and don't take a drink, instead go to a meeting or call a friend or say a prayer, that's all I need to do. And so yeah. just beginning from that and um, being willing to do only that really got me going down a good direction, I would say, yeah. this recovery journey. Because, I mean, again, we're talking about letting go of old habits. The number one habit for me to let go of was drinking. Hell, I smoked is. for eight years after I quit drinking. And I, and I, had, I had smoked and quit before. And I started again when I got sober, you know, it's like yeah. whack-a-mole. You yeah. whack down one addiction and another one pops its head back up. But I'll tell you what, smoking, I, I my friend said, uh, I deal with my addictions in the order in which they kill me fastest. That's right. And the A number one, by far top of the list was alcohol. Trading yeah. alcohol for a nicotine addiction, that was actually a smart thing to do. If that's yep. what I had to do. Exactly. And so I eventually quit smoking also. But again, it's, this is not a race. Like you said, nope, one day it's at, not a time, a race. One thing at a time. Yeah, what we don't want to do is set unrealistic expectations for ourselves. 
themselves and then end up um, failing them because that can sort of start a spiral of like, oh, well, I didn't do that. So now I might as well, you know, do my other stuff too, or whatever. We want to set small, sustainable goals for ourselves, you know, that, that we can then feel good about. Um, and we don't want to try to do too much too quick either, right? Because like you said, sobriety, just, you know, whatever the, the major addiction is that's wreaking havoc in our life, just removing that, that's enough, you know? Yeah. Um, for however long, you know, for the first six months, for the first year, two years, whatever it is that it takes, you know, to really focus on getting that one out of the way. And then we want to start changing um, small things that support that, you know what I mean? Like, for example, um, when I quit drinking, the first few weeks, maybe I figured this one out pretty quick. I thought that I could still go to all the because I was in graduate school, I thought that I could still go to all the parties and I could drink my O'Doul's, you know, (laughs) which I learned later on was a no-no. But that, you know, that got me through the first couple of weeks because I was in graduate school. Everybody partied every Friday in the quad, you know, and I didn't want to miss that. So I would show up with my little non-alcoholic beer and, um, you know, and so that's what got me through the first weeks of quitting drinking. That that's what I needed to do. But then over time, I started realizing, yeah, I don't really, maybe I don't really want to go to these things where everyone else is drinking, you know. And then I learned that, you know, maybe drinking something that does have a small fraction of alcohol in it is not a good idea. And so I started having to change other habits around my drinking to support my new way of being in sobriety. But it takes what it takes, and keeping it simple is always a good idea. And making small, sustainable changes that we can then feel good about rather than setting ourselves. We want to set ourselves up for success. We don't want to set ourselves up for failure. You know, I hear people sometimes they get sober and, oh, my God, within the first year, they've changed their relationship. They've moved. They started a new job. They're going back to grad. You know, they're going back to school or whatever. It's like, whoa slow down because and and if it works out for them great but to me that's like danger danger you know it's just too much too fast and um on the other hand if a person is a is addicted to doing and that's what it takes to get them through those first months of sobriety i mean everybody is different you know but in general we want to take it easy boy these slogans are just rolling off my tongue today take it easy keep it simple time takes time you know some of these i haven't heard in ages what (laughs) i I don't know they're coming up at first was don't make any major changes in the first year that's what got repeated and um, that was one of those where at the time I was like, whatever, I'm fine. Now, I, yeah. I, as it turns out, I did not make any major changes in the first year. I didn't change jobs. I didn't change relationships, get into or out of a serious relationship. Oh, um, you didn't. Thing, see, I, that's half the fun of the first year. <laughs> the, the it's like, hey, I did all changes, that for you. <laughs> yeah, thank you. did enough for both of us. The major change I made in the first year was to stop putting alcohol in my system. And so I actually managed to do that one right. I know I don't I can't even credit myself to it. I'll just credit my lethargy. You know, is my my tendency would be to not take on anything new anyway. But um, so, again, talking about letting go of old habits, some of the old habits that I realized over time that I needed to let go of that I did begin to let go of early on, even before I realized it was I would just call it isolation. 
you know, I had lots of habits that were sort of some form or some expression or other of isolation, you know, generally mm -hmm. not being comfortable, uh, being, you know, seen or known as very quiet. I, I was the person that would sort of observe everything that was going on and not really uh, participate. So not participating in things. And just by following those, the simple guidance that I got that said, you know, go to 90 meetings in 90 days, join a home group and show up there often so that people begin to know who you are when you walk in and you know who others are when you walk in and, and uh, take up some simple volunteering, take the trash out, make the coffee or whatever, yeah. get a sponsor and work the steps. So 90 meetings in 90 days, get a sponsor and work the steps is the yeah. short version of that. So just by doing those things, mm -hmm. I was already um, changing habits and not isolating because my solution before would have been just to stay at home. But ironically, yeah. what I learned from hanging around with a group of drunks is that many of us had that same tendency to just want to draw the curtains, you know, uh, put the phone on mute and, and uh, withdraw from the world, which is not really a good way of doing things. Are you a healthcare professional looking to translate psychedelic research into practice? Then register for Psychedelic Harm Reduction and Integration, a professional training offered by psychologist Elizabeth Nielsen and Ingmar Gorman at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. Earn 12 continuing education credits as you discover how to better support clients who have an interest in psychedelics. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. Yeah, I didn't have the isolation thing in quite the way that you did. But the thing that I had was um, trouble feeling a part of. And you know what, some of that still stays with me today. Um, you know, there's things that just are they're just part of our makeup, and they're always going to be a challenge for us. But um, I can feel like even if I'm in a group of people that I don't really belong, I'm not really a part of the group. And I think that one of the big benefits, one of the things that works really well about the 12-step program, whichever one it is, is, is that feeling of being part of a group that starts to satisfy some of the longing to belong, longing to have connection, longing to have friends, longing to have um, others in our lives who are trying to live a similar kind of life. That's such a big part of what's important about the 12-step program, in my opinion. And so, um, not feeling a part of, you know, there's, there's, there's things that we can do to help remedy that. Like you were talking about your way was just of isolating, um, all of the things that you mentioned about getting involved, you know, um, getting a sponsor, being a sponsor, um, you know, going to, I don't know, I don't go to that many meetings anymore. So I don't know what the program is like now as much as it used to be back in the day and, and also COVID I'm sure has interfered with a lot of this but we used to have all kinds of activities barbecues and you know we had a Saturday night meeting that was just a blast so it was like instead of going out to the bar go to the Saturday night meeting you know and back then you could smoke in meetings so it was kind of like the bar really everybody had coffee and you couldn't see the people on the other side of the room through the smoke and but you know but we made that meeting really fun it had a lot of 
real fun elements to it. And so that was something that I could feel a part of um, and start to feel a sense of belonging. You know, and I, I think that that's so healing for us um, because isolation can look like a lot of different things. For you, it looked like staying yeah. home. For me, it looked like being out there, but not feeling a part of. And like I say, I can still feel that way sometimes, but um, by getting involved and especially uh, doing service, you know, just any little thing. I noticed that as soon as I chaired a meeting, you know, the first time I was asked to speak at a meeting, I was terrified, terrified. I can't believe I'm a minister now, but I was terrified. Um, but as soon as I did it, I felt so much more a part of, so much more a part of, because I had made myself vulnerable and I had begun to let people know who I was and it opened up all these connections. And then the other thing that really made me feel a part of, frankly, was doing the step work. Just like getting down to basics and doing some of the nitty gritty, you know, pen and notebook, just doing the deal. Suddenly I felt like, wow, I'm a part of this great tradition of 12 steppers that have done this work, you know, it just, it helped me feel so much more connected just by doing some of the actual work and, and meeting with my sponsor and, and sharing my fourth step. I mean, that was such a huge cracking open for me um, of letting someone see, letting someone really see me, um, somebody that I really, really trusted and I knew wasn't going to judge me, you know, that, that, that began to break down that isolation for me a little bit to feel more, more connected, connected to someone else that I had shared my stuff with, you know, I, I don't see her anymore, but I'm still connected to her because, um, because I had that experience of sharing that with her and she was there for me. Yeah. I like what you're saying about the step work. I don't know that I ever thought of it that way, but I'm totally with you on that. When I'm doing step work, I'm doing something that started in the 1930s. Yes. Right. When, when, uh, when, when Alcoholics Anonymous book was written and this whole, at least that 12 step fellowship began, we're, kind of it's you know it's it's not a it's a spiritual tradition i think it's safe to say yeah. though of course it's not a religion of any kind but it's a spiritual tradition to do that sort of inner exploration and that inner work that we do mm -hmm. and all spiritual paths have an you know an important part of them is is an element of doing inner work inner reflection or at least yes. the ones that Absolutely. i'm attracted to and you the know, ones all, that do the, any good, all the right? Your traditions have at least parts of of them that are um, inward facing, um, yeah. Though not, you know, there 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 are other ways to do it too. And I think that that is very cool to find a connection, just like you're saying. It's like I'm doing a thing that that others have done. I am joining. I'm becoming one of the bunch. Yep. in that I'm having this experience of doing step work for the first time. And while may, I, I like to think everybody, but close to everybody that I know in the program, or maybe everybody I know in the program has also done that. Mm -hmm. And so what a great way um, to connect with it. I know one way that was important for me when I talk about letting go of old habits and therefore sort of creating an opportunity to to have a whole new way of being in the world is that I became willing to share what was going on with me. And I literally learned this in, in 12 step fellowship halls. Yeah. I watched other people do it. 
And then I realized I, I can do this too. You know, they're not so different than me. It's not like they have everything perfect or whatever. In fact, they're, they're saying things about themselves that are quite unflattering and we're all having a good time <laughs> because we're all laughing at ourselves. Yep. You know, when someone says some crazy thing they did uh, when they were drunk or whatever, and then a, a bunch of people laugh, we're not laughing at the person that said that we're laughing because we did it too. That's right. You know, and what a great way to make a connection. So becoming willing to share what was going on with me, which I learned how to do in the fellowship and then of course continue to do and let that expand out into other parts of my life as well uh, one of my teachers um had this saying it's several sayings and one of them is i tell the truth and i tell it quickly mm -hmm. there's a handful of spiritual principles that he put together uh, for that i tell the truth and i tell it quickly and i find that that's very applicable to um any kind any kind of spiritual living but especially for those of us on an uh, addiction recovery journey, it fits. And no, it doesn't mean that you just open your mouth and blab whatever. I mean, we still need to develop a filter. A filter. <laughs> the concept of being appropriate, you yep. know, which we may have lost a little bit um, when we were in our... In I our walk the line myself all the time. <laughs> so it's, it's not an anything goes, but no. it's that I don't sit there not saying what I know needs to be said. Yeah. I don't sit there not telling the truth about myself that I know I need to be telling. I tell it instead. Or we even have that that uh, saying, telling on ourselves. Yeah. Right? We go into a meeting and we quote, tell on ourselves, which means I express out loud, I'm feeling like this and I'm getting all weird about it. And I remember, oh yeah, this is why I drank because I don't like feeling like this. Yep. There, when I do that, I'm telling the truth about what's going on with me and I'm telling on myself meaning uh, it's just a silly funny way to say i'm willing to share what's actually going on with me yeah you know this is a program of self-examination and self-awareness it's about getting to know ourselves and getting to know what's in there what was what is the the burdens and the pain and the um traumas that i'm carrying that caused me to want to use my addiction in the first place right and and so the you know that those shame based things we generally don't feel great about those are what isolate us and when we go and share those things in a meeting you know like you say always with appropriateness um depending on the type of the meeting i you know i went predominantly to women's meetings for years and years and years and um i'll tell you women in a meeting you just about anything you share others are going to relate to it and this is true in pretty much any meeting i'd say of more than five people you you can share the most what you think is the most outrageous thing and somebody else is going to be like yep i know that one Did you that. know and and so that does a lot of things to us one that that cuts out of that isolation and, and it and it creates a connection where we realize that we are not the only ones we're not alone you know feeling bad feelings is one thing but then feeling like you're the only one that feels those things is the real burden on top of that right so when you find out that other people experience these things other people feel them too that um creates a sense of connection and 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 um you know that we're not alone we're not alone in this others feel this too it also begins to chip away at our egos which tend to be pretty big we have that combination of low self-esteem and overinflated ego right i'm the piece of crap that the world revolves around 
And so we think we're terminally unique. And when we find out that other people experience the same thing as us, that starts to make us right-sized as well. So it starts to make us right-sized and connected. And that's healing, right? You know, because like I say, I know I have this terminal uniqueness. No one else feels what I feel. I'm totally different than all my other fellow humans. That's just ego created nonsense, you know? And so um, the power in the group process is, is that understanding that others, others share what I share, others feel what I feel, and I don't have to be alone in it anymore. Yeah. And I can heal by realizing this common humanity. That's why things that are said in 12-step programs are so freaking hysterical because it's that common humanity that we right. share, right? right? It's funny because it's true. And we it's all funny because it. it's true. Yeah. Yeah. We all know it. Well, it is now time for what we like to call recovery in a nutshell. This is when we try to summarize the various pieces of all this, all that we've shared and um, to find what's most helpful in our recovery journey. So Reverend Michelle, if someone came to you and said, you know, give me the, give me the elevator pitch version. How can I create a life that's light and easy rather than heavy and difficult? Which of all of this would you be sure to share? Well, so rather than repeat all the things we've already said about getting a sponsor, going to meeting, working the steps, because that's a given, I would say in creating a life that is lighter and easier rather than heavier and difficult, we need to come to believe in a power greater than ourselves. And we need to turn our will in our life over to that power. And we need to begin to forge a daily relationship with that higher power. You can give me the... Um, the Bible verse about my yoke is easy. How's it go? Yeah, that's that's probably my favorite one in in Matthew. Uh, go ahead, say I, it. I can't rattle. I'm terrible at. Okay, okay. Things. But basically, basically, walk. You know, follow the master teacher. Walk the Jesus way, and life uh-huh. can be uh, light and easy and enjoyable. Yeah, and that the forging a relationship with the higher power that sustains us and supports us and loves us daily, that is what makes life light and easier. And that's what gives us the strength to make these changes um, that are going to be sustainable changes for life, a new way of living. We, we can't ever forget, you know, it isn't the spiritual part of the program. It is a spiritual program that um, is about the God of our own understanding. So, yeah, yeah. And I, and I agree with that. Although what came to mind for me was like the repeating the practical things that I did here. But now that you've said that, I agree that that's the A number one thing. Yeah. Now, you know, when in the, our early development, we, we find this higher power that works for us, that might happen early on, somewhere in the middle. So in the meantime, while um, I am finding a God concept that works for me, I want to get in a community, you know, like mm-hmm. we say, find a home group, get a sponsor, work the steps and tell the truth. And through that process, always be open to the spirit in whatever. Somebody might say something. This has happened to me a lot. Somebody says something in a meeting and I'm like, that's exactly it. That actually makes sense to me. What you just said about the divine, now all of a sudden, a new possibility has opened up just because of the way that somebody said something it's like oh i'm gonna i'm gonna do it that way for now yeah Yeah, i might do it that way for a while it might be a short time long time it doesn't matter what matters is i just heard something that 
the, turn the light on a little brighter. Cracked it open a little. A little more clearly. Yes, absolutely. That's the power of the group. Well, we have an affirmation for you as always. And our affirmation today is grounded in spirit. I live with honesty and integrity and I am free. Once again, grounded in spirit. I live with honesty and integrity and I am free. Well, it's happened again. You've given yourself the gift of another episode of Spirit of Recovery, and we're grateful that you have. We hope you found something in all of our chitter chatter today that you find genuinely helpful, and we invite you to let us know. Contact us. Send an email or a Facebook message. Let us know what you heard that made sense to you, that was helpful, that was unhelpful, that you thought was uh, right on, or maybe we said something that we you thought was way off. Well, just let us know. We'd love We'd love to hear from you. We bless you wherever you are on your own recovery journey. And as always, as Dan said, we invite your questions, comments, wisdom, and feedback anytime. You can find us on our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery, or you can email us at spiritofrecoveryunity at gmail.com. We're so glad you joined us today, and we hope you'll join us again. And until then, don't drink like my co-host. And whatever you do, do not drink like my co-host. <laughs> Instead, have yourself a wonder-filled week. What is it you really want in life? No matter what you've been through, you can still achieve it. I'm Sandra Ann Taylor, And in my Energy Activation podcast, we'll explore the science of manifestation, and I'll give you specific techniques to shift your energy in order to make your dreams a reality. I also do live energy readings, and you can be a part of the show by emailing your questions to me at sandrataylor.net. Join me on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network or wherever you get your podcasts.